0: I think about what I to make up for it, fires to the end zone, touchdown, Alabama wins!
1: He steps into it, passes, caught! Oh!
0: You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed.
2: Welcome to episode 121 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. Jeremy Paxton and Hunter Atkins have the week off. But as you heard from the uh, the two amazing calls, we had quite the... (laughs) Quite the whirlwind of uh, calls for college football and the NFL this past week. Of course, starting Monday night as Alabama knocked off Georgia in the national championship game 26-23 to in overtime, and if Nick Saban winning his sixth national championship, fifth with Alabama. Of course, he won one in the early 2000s with LSU. And then most recently on Sunday night, uh, if, if you watch that game, Minnesota Vikings with uh, Houston. An icon Case Keenum behind them at quarterback completed a 61 yard touchdown pass to send the Vikings to the NFC Championship game uh, with a date with the Philadelphia Eagles. And of course, the Vikings winning that game 29 24 after the Saints uh, stormed from behind, scoring 17 fourth quarter points to take that uh, game. It-, it seemed that uh, fate was sealed for the Vikings. It seemed that Drew Brees. Uh, Camara, the the stud running back, it seemed like the Saints were heading to Philadelphia for a shot at the Super Bowl. Of course, that did not happen, and those were two amazing calls, Uh, one courtesy of Joe Buck calling the Vikings game, and of course, the other courtesy of ESPN. That is the best part about playoff football. It's so exciting. You never know what you're going to get, but uh, we'll discuss that here in just a few moments. But uh, first off, I want to say that we do have a great guest on today's show. That's Ginny Dialcreech, who joined us probably uh, uh, about a year ago. And uh, Ginny, if you're not familiar with her, first off, you should be following her on social media. She does great work for the Houston Chronicle. She's a sports columnist. She covers uh, pretty much everything within the city of Houston, Houston sports-related. We're going to sit down with Ginny, and we're going to discuss the Rockets. Uh, You know, their upcoming schedule, of course. Uh, Monday night, they have a game against the Clippers. Uh, Thursday, they play the Timberwolves, and then the big game on Saturday night here in Houston against the Golden State Warriors, and how have they done without James Harden? James Harden, who was having an MVP caliber season, has uh, been hamstrung with injuries. No pun intended. Uh, He has suffered a hamstring injury and has been out the last few weeks for the Rockets. Now they've kind of slumped a little bit, but they have been able to uh, keep pace and keep hold of that number two seed in the Western Conference. Uh, Reports indicate that he could be back as early as Thursday night. Uh, If I am the Rockets, you know, I'm going to dial it down, make sure not to rush him back. Uh, But we're going to talk to Jenny specifically about the Rockets. They've been doing this season. Uh, You know, Gerald Green, who's a big storyline for the Rockets. What has he meant uh, for the organization as they make that playoff push? Also, we're going to talk to Ginny a little bit about uh, Art Bryles and Kendall Bryles. As you might recall, last week on the podcast, we discussed that Kendall Bryles, uh, former Baylor offensive coordinator, son of Art Bryles, was hired by the University of Houston. Uh, What kind of message does that send to, uh, you know, the U of H fan base? Ginny's going to dissect that as she has covered Art Art Bryles and the Baylor scandal pretty significantly over the past, uh, you know, one to two years. So we're going to kind of get her insight into that. Also, we're gonna talk a little bit about amateurism in college athletics and, you know, paying players. Is that the right thing to do? Ginny uh, actually had a story that was in Sunday's Houston Chronicle. Also, you can find that on cron.com. But it's a really interesting look. Uh, we discuss that for about four to five minutes. So I think you're going to enjoy that conversation with Ginny. Also, we have a uh, kind of a guest segment this week. And that's going to be with uh, Luke Bronner from, uh, Diego Sports. And if you know Luke, uh, he has arguably one of the best podcast networks in Houston. It's Milieu Media Group. Uh, he does phenomenal work. Of course, we're huge fans of uh, his his main podcast, uh, The H. I'm, I'm calling it The Main. Uh, Luke, I don't know if you uh, if you want me to call that your main podcast, but The H. It's a, it's a great storytelling podcast. He just released episode one about two weeks ago. Episode two for season two comes out this Wednesday. Also, uh, Hunter Atkins will be joining him for an episode here in just a few weeks. But uh, Yego Sports, uh, first off, you can you can search on social media, follow them at Yego Sports on, I think, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, but uh, Luke was kind enough to uh, give us one of his recent episodes, which I think you're really going to enjoy. It's a discussion on who the greatest running back of all time is. And the conversation starts with Barry Sanders. I kind of agree with that. There are some names that I think might have been left off. We'll get to that at the end of the show, but I really want you to give a listen to that podcast, Diego uh, Sports. Uh, great content. Uh, it, it is for people that you know might not be uh, sports fanatics. People that are looking for fun conversation around sports. People that don't want to listen to sports talk radio twenty four seven. This is something. It's insightful. It's it's humorous. Uh, and it's a really good conversation and I think Luke does a great job of the podcast Diego uh, Sports it, it comes out three times a week and uh, you know each episode is anywhere between five and 10 minutes and I think you're really going to enjoy it So if you subscribe to this podcast you should subscribe to Diego Sports and also give them a review on iTunes and uh, look for that segment. After the interview with Ginny Dalcreech, but uh, let's start off with something else here in Houston real quick. On Saturday night, Garrett Cole, who is a, um, as Derek would say, a thoroughbred right-handed pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, was dealt to the Houston Astros, possibly giving the Astros the edge of... Uh, in the American League. Of course, we saw the New York Yankees uh, make the huge acquisition during the hot stove, the, the trade back in December to acquire Giancarlo Stanton, one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball, to bolster that lineup offensively. The Astros, not wanting to sit back, went out and got another formidable arm. And of course, Garrett Cole He's a guy that features a 96-mile-per-hour fastball. He's got a phenomenal slider, which I think you're going to see more of an emphasis on uh, in 2018 as he works with the Astros pitching staff, uh, pitching coaches, Brett Strom, who uh, the Astros seem to emphasize more of working in that off-speed pitch. We saw that kind of uh, elevate you know, Brad Peacock. We saw that elevate Charlie Morton, Colin McHugh. The Astros right now, if they stay healthy, have – By far, in my opinion, the best starting rotation in Major League Baseball. I mean, keep in mind, you're going with former MVP, former Cy Young Award winner, Justin Verlander, who was phenomenal in the playoffs. He's your ace. Dallas Keuchel, Cy Young Award winner. He's your number two starter. Garrett Cole pencils in maybe at number three, maybe at number four. Lance McCullers, who, when healthy, has electric stuff. When he can control that fastball, of course, his his pitch that he relies on most is that off speed curveball, that that devastating curveball, which we saw him throw twenty four straight uh, against the Yankees in Game Seven of the American League Championship Series. If he could stay healthy, that's an insane top four in your rotation. And of course, Charlie Morton, Brad Peacock, uh, Francis Martez—you've uh, got a lot of depth there in that rotation. Uh, some names that you do give up in that trade back to Pittsburgh would be Colin Moran, who is a uh, a pretty good third baseman. But again, he's blocked by Alex Bregman, who came on really strong last year and has shown that he is going to elevate his game as you move into the 2018 season. Uh, you also deal Musgrove and, uh, you know, Musgrove was a guy that, the Astros, I think, wanted to have him in as a contender last year for that fifth spot in the rotation. Uh, He had some control issues, kind of got hit hard. But when the Astros moved him to the back of the bullpen, uh, when they made their playoff push, he became very reliable. Uh, So kind of, it's unfortunate to see him go, but what you get in return in Garrett Cole, who is young, has two years left on his contract, you're only going to pay him $6.5 million this year. That deal works out best, I think, in favor of the Astros. He's under club control for two more years. The guys that Houston sent to Pittsburgh are more projects. Of course, uh, Feliz is gone as well. And there's one other name that I'm blanking on right now. But I think the Astros come out ahead uh, in in this deal. But uh, we'll see how all that transpires. Spring training is less than 40 days away. And, of course, we're going to be providing you more content with the Astros uh, as we gear closer towards spring training. But exciting times for the Astros as they look to repeat Uh, for, uh, you know, the World Series. It's Houston Strong and and Jeff Luno, who was kind of criticized last year, the All-Star break for uh, not bringing in a frontline starter. Of course, one second before the uh, August 31st tread deadline, he brought in Justin Verlander. Now he brings in Garrett Cole. So if you're an Astros fan, you've got to be confident heading into the 2018 season. But should be a lot of fun here, but uh, let's also talk a little college football real quick. Alabama uh, knocking off Georgia, twenty six to twenty three. That game was uh, quite phenomenal. Of course, at halftime the score was thirteen to nothing. Uh, Jalen Hurts, who was here from Houston, was just uh, he was went to high school here in Houston, was just three for eight with twenty one yards, and he did not look sharp in that first half against Georgia. Uh, He couldn't throw the ball downfield. George's defense was just stifling that Alabama offense, and I couldn't really muster anything up. And so I actually sent out a tweet over Weekly Brewcast. You can follow us at Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, I suggested that they should put in one of their freshman quarterbacks, and that is Tua Tukavala. I'm I'm butchering that name. Sorry, Tua. Everyone in the U.S. now knows you as Tua. A five-star recruit from Hawaii. He's He's a south ball. He's a lefty. I thought that he could move the ball down the field. I I didn't think that Nick Saban would kind of panic and make that decision to pull out your starting quarterback, who was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, who had been 26-2 as a starter, led Alabama to national championship games in two straight years. I didn't think that he would make that move, but he did. And it was the right decision. Of course, Tua comes in, 14-24 of for 166 yards, three touchdowns. And that miraculous touchdown pass after uh, taking an ill-advised sack in the uh, the overtime, it looked like Georgia uh, was essentially going to win that game. It looked like they had pushed Alabama out of field goal range, and of course Alabama uh, missing that field goal uh, that ultimately sent the game to overtime. Uh, you know, Tua came back, fired it down to the left side, and had that remarkable uh, touchdown pass uh, that you heard in the opening call to Devonta Smith who 41 <laughs> yard touchdown pass in Alabama wins the national championship so phenomenal uh, into the college football playoffs and uh, you know we're just waiting for college football to uh, get back here shortly uh, but let's move over to the NFL real quick Not a lot of excitement on the uh, Saturday slate of games. Of course, uh, Saturday slate of games, we saw the Titans go to Foxborough and get blown out by the New England Patriots. I think a lot of people expected that to happen. Also, we saw Atlanta Falcons go to Philadelphia. Uh, Falcons were actually two-and-a-half-point favorites. They had come off an impressive win against the Los Angeles Rams in last week's playoffs. A lot of people suspected that they were kind of clicking on all cylinders and could be making another run uh, to perhaps win the NFC, to perhaps uh, make it back to the Super Bowl for the second straight year. Things started out well for them. Uh, they could not finish the job. There was some questionable play calling uh, late in the game. Of course, Philadelphia behind Nick Foles, who uh, was was put in as the starter after Carson Wentz went down with a torn ACL. They get the win, fifteen to ten, and now they have a date with the Minnesota Vikings uh, and Case Keenum. It, it, that game just was phenomenal. I mean, Drew Brees, who is you know one of the all time greats at quarterback, thirty just one day shy of his 39th birthday, engineered a comeback. Uh, Vikings held a 17 nothing lead heading into halftime. It didn't look good for New Orleans. Uh, they scored a touchdown in the third, then scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, took the lead, and, and then just magic happened. Mayhem happened. Uh, the Vikings ended up getting the win on a 61 yard touchdown pass from Case Keenum uh, to Diggs, and it was just it, it, it was it was a defensive breakdown from New Orleans Saints. So let's be let's be clear about that, but. From a uh, from a mindset, if you listen to some of the audio, I think there's some stuff going around on NFL Network, uh, on Sports Illustrated. The audio is just remarkable when you listen to it from the uh, the Viking Stadium, the fan base. It goes from dead silent to just mayhem, and just you know a flip of a switch. And of course the Vikings uh, will now be heading to Fox will now be heading to Philadelphia this week uh, with a shot to uh, potentially win the game and host the Super Bowl in Minnesota, which would be the first time that's ever happened that the home team has hosted a game in the Super Bowl in NFL history. So it uh, should be interesting to see what happens there. Vikings are currently a uh, I believe a, a four and a half point favorite against the uh, the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, over on the AFC, of course, New England winning the game on Saturday night. Uh, They're going to be playing to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who knocked off the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh uh, on, on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And that, that to me was just a phenomenal game. Uh, Blake Bortles, the Jacksonville Jaguars, came out firing, uh, had a huge lead, 21-0. Uh, Big Ben and the Steelers kind of fought back. They had some clock mismanagement issues at the end of the game, couldn't get the job done. Blake Bortles, 2-0 in the playoffs. I mean, this is a team that has won 12 games in 2017. Which is more than they had won in the previous three years combined. I mean, this is a team that is built from the ground up. Uh, they've uh, Jim Caldwell has done a phenomenal job drafting for the uh, the Jaguars. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey picking up AJ Boyer in, in free agency from the Houston Texans. I mean, their secondary is ridiculous. Their you know their front seven is phenomenal. Blake Bortles is kind of that question mark. He is not necessarily a reliable quarterback, but he's gotten it done in the past two weeks, and now he is going to head into Foxborough with the Jaguars with a chance to play for the AFC title and a chance to move on to the Super Bowl. I think that's a pretty good story. So uh, two pretty good games coming your way next weekend. But uh, we'll get into that, hopefully, with a bonus episode this week. Uh, we're kind of unsure of what our timing is going to be. Just for full transparency, I'm actually heading to uh, Spain at the end of the week. So we're going to have some content f- for you here in the next few weeks, but we're not sure exactly uh, the timing of that content. But we'll definitely keep you uh, apprised a with that on social media. But uh, great week for sports here in Houston specifically with the signing of Garrett Cole, the trade for Garrett Cole. Uh, and congratulations again to Astro General Manager Jeff Luno for getting that job done. And I honestly just cannot wait for spring training to start again. We're, we're less than 40 days away and excitement here in Houston, especially at the Weekly Brew Studios, is just on edge. We We can't wait for that to happen. But as mentioned at the top of the show, we've got a great interview with Jenny Dialcreech from the Houston Chronicle. Also, we've got a, a guest segment from Luke Bronner and Diego Sports. We hope you stay tuned for that. Uh, but if you want to follow our work, you can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. Dot com. And uh, if you do that, it's, it's a smart thing to do. Uh, each week when we post an episode, it gets pushed straight to your inbox. So we highly recommend that you do that. But uh, again, as mentioned at the top of the show, we've got two great interviews or two great segments coming up for you. So we hope that you uh, sit back, relax, and be informed you're listening to the weekly brew joining us now on the weekly Brew podcast is Jenny Dow Creech, who is a sports columnist at the Houston Chronicle and uh, Jenny I think it's been probably what a year since we had you on and I think at that point we talked uh, a little rockets a little uh, a little Spurs and also some art Briles and and Baylor and it seems like we're bringing you on a year later and talking about the same thing How are you doing Jenny <laughs>
3: I guess that means that just all these things I talk about are just remain extra relevant, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let, let's start off with the Rockets, real quick, because I, you know, I think that's the big story here in Houston. Obviously, I mean, uh, you know, since just absolutely blitzing through the October-November schedule, uh, you know, they've kind of had some injury issues, and I think you tweeted out uh, what was it Wednesday uh, a, a little. Uh, a sheet of paper that had all the Rockets injuries ahead of their game for Friday night. But, you know, they're, they're still keeping pace essentially with, with uh, Golden state as the number two seed. But how important is it right now that the Rockets continue to, I don't know, find depth so they can, you know, maybe overcome some of these injuries as we get closer to the playoff season.
3: I mean, that, that's exactly what they have to do. And I, I think what's interesting about this Rockets team this year and this is a team I've, I've followed for several years and obviously was on the Rockets beat before uh, becoming a columnist. And what I can say about this team as opposed to any of the teams in the James Harden era um, of Rockets basketball is that there is depth. I mean, if we look in the – since Harden got here, if you look at any year, could you have said the Rockets could go on a two- or three-week span without him and still won games and still competed and still stayed in the top of the standings and the answer to that is no I mean you, you couldn't have done anything without Harden but now when you have Chris Paul when you have Eric Gordon when you have a Gerald Green who's playing out of his mind I think he's right now the best story in Houston sports it, it's possible it's possible for the Rockets to show that they aren't just the beard anymore there are a lot more and I think that's something they've been striving to do for years and now we're really seeing that um, come to fruition and it's it is really fun basketball to watch. I know it's frustrating to look at um, you know that injury report, which is long. I know it's frustrating to think like your best choice at a backup center right now is Ryan Anderson, which <laughs> isn't ideal for him or or anyone watching the team but still you have all these players that are capable of playing in those positions, and in the past, that wasn't the case. We saw the Rockets go through injury bugs in the past and really suffer, and that's when James Harden was healthy. So the fact that you're doing this now without him, and there's not a huge concern that the Rockets are really going to fall off too far while he's out. To me, that
2: says a lot. Yeah, and let's talk about Gerald Green for a minute because he's just been, you know, lightning off the bench. I mean, pulled off his couch. We discussed it, you know, briefly last week on the podcast, but offensively, he's just been phenomenal, and he's also, you know, really embracing that Houston mentality with his, you know, his braids. He's got the Rocket braid, the Astros braid. I I mean, how important has he been in terms of, uh, you know, just another guy off of the bench that could provide an offensive spark while Harden's out?
3: Oh, he's been huge, and, um, you know, I – I personally love people that make me look smart, so he's one of those. (laughs) On the day that they uh, picked him up, I tweeted out that I just love that signing so much for the Rockets for a lot of reasons, and the main one being that he does a lot of those things um, that you just mentioned, being able to come in with a second unit, being able to be a spark plug. He's so fearless, especially at this point in his career. He has absolutely nothing to lose. And on top of all that, he is a skilled basketball player. He's always been very athletic. He's long. He's fast. He's not the best defender in the world, but you don't exactly need him to be with that second unit, especially if you have, like, a P.J. Tucker in there or, you know, you have you have uh, Chris Paul when they can use him in the second unit, which isn't always, especially right now with, with Harden being out. But I think that he brings so much on the offensive end that you allow – for a guy like James Harden, again, to get more rest. Um, and I think that's going to be crucial, as we saw last year by the end of the year. Harden hadn't hadn't received enough rest over the year, and it, it wore him down. Like, adding a guy like Gerald Green, if for no other reason, um, and there are a lot of great reasons to have him around, he's a guy that can reprieve um, James Harden a little bit. And I think that that's what you need so that you have – Full on healthy, energetic James Harden through the playoffs when it matters.
2: So, I guess the next part that I'm going to ask you is about James Harden. He's supposed to be reevaluated Monday for his injury. The timing of him coming back is a little bit uncertain. Rockets have been a little bit vague, but when you look at it, is this sort of maybe, I don't know, a blessing in disguise that he is going through this, you know? injury issue where he hasn't been able to you know put on so many minutes I mean is it a blessing for the Rockets that you know maybe this will help extend him in the postseason
3: I I mean I think it depends on the injury so if he comes back completely healed and is himself yeah sure I mean a a couple weeks off is great for any player in a grueling season but if he comes back and that the that hamstring issue remains kind of a nagging issue that they have to watch Uh, throughout the season maybe not I mean it's it's just hard to say with a hamstring it really is um, that's that's a tricky one so we'll just kind of have to see where he's at and how how serious it is you you do have to look at the the big picture though and say because of what the Rockets have without him they are at least able to be really cautious and make the best decision about this without having to think we have to get him back in right away. So they need to give him more time they can, and it probably won't hurt them too much. It obviously would be nice to get him back, but the timing in terms of it being January and not March and right before a playoff push, that is good.
2: Yeah, and and speaking of a playoff push, the Rockets are going to uh, kind of, I guess, face an uptick in competition here in the next few days. They've got the Clippers on Monday night, uh, the T-Wolves on Thursday, and then the Warriors uh, coming up this Saturday. I, I mean, it's, it's a pretty difficult stretch before you head into the uh, the All-Star break. I mean, what should Rocket fans be kind of looking for? Is, is that Warriors game one that you sort of circle on, on your schedule?
3: Yeah, I think you always circle the Warriors. I think that um, you always kind of rise to the occasion of playing them. And with all of these teams, with the Clippers, I mean, look at – Shoot, look at Lou Williams playing out of his mind. Yes, look 50. <laughs> at uh, You know, like look at each one of these games as an opportunity to go in and face a team in the Western Conference um, and better yourself across the board from top to bottom. Whether you have five players available or you have ten players available, you figure out a way to, to use these games to make yourself better, to improve your depth, to improve those lineups. Um, because you never – look, Nene is, is older. He's further along in his career. You might not have him as your backup center down the road. Um, Tark Black seems pretty durable to me, and he's playing really well. So I, I think he could be back for that Clippers game, in fact. Um, but I still think it's a good idea to play in these smaller lineups, especially when you're going against a team like the Warriors. It's a good idea to have P.J. Tucker at the five, to have Ryan Anderson at the five, to know what that looks like, that if you get into a series against the Warriors and you need to go small, that lineup has a lot of minutes together. They played together. They can get out there and run and keep the pace, and it it just makes you more versatile. So, and I think D'Antoni knows that. I mean, he's he's such a good coach. He he sees everything that's in front of him. So I'm sure that's what he'll be doing.
2: You know, I think it's pretty understood right now that the Warriors are the favorites. When it comes to the Western Conference, but uh, the NBA trade deadline is coming up February eighth. Do you sort of anticipate the Rockets or Daryl Morey making any move to you know add a few pieces, maybe to can compete with the Warriors, or do you see any other big moves potentially happening in the NBA, NBA not necessarily with the Rockets. I
3: mean, there'll be something. There's always some. There's always that shocking <laughs> trade or move, and it's it's very bizarre for me to say this because I always expect Morey to do something. I always expect it. But he has said, and and I totally agree with him, that this year he might not. It might not be that big of a priority because when you look at the Rockets at full health and then especially with the addition of Gerald Green, and he has overachieved. Like, I don't know if anyone would say that there. Like, I'm sure they'd all, like, say this is exactly what we expected from (laughs) Gerald Green, but it's not. Like, I mean – Even I, I thought he'd be great for the team, for the energy, for those backup minutes, but he's better than I thought he would be. So I think when you look at that and what he's brought to the mix, there's not a lot of need with the Rockets right now. What they need is just to be healthy and on the court all at the same time. When they were, they won 14 games in a row and were becoming one of the better defensive teams in the league. So what they need more than anything is health. And I'm not sure that there's anything that could happen in a, in a trade that would make them better, quite frankly. Um, I'm not sure what you'd want to give up from this team, especially since none of these injuries are so detrimental that someone's going to be out for a really long stretch of time. If If you look in the last few years, I mean, you had like Dwight Howard injuries where he missed 40 games. You don't have that right now with the Rockets. So I think that, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year Maury does nothing. And if he does nothing, I don't think it's the wrong move.
2: But that seems like so, you know, antithetical from what Maury typically does in the past. I but, know. But, I, but, but I agree with you on that. And so, okay, Jenny, I'm going to, I'm going to make you finish this sentence real quick. The Rockets win the Western Conference if.
3: If you keep James Harden and Chris Paul healthy enough together to finish this merge. I, that's what they need. They need enough time on the court together. We saw glimpses of what they can do in that 14 game winning streak. You know, man, if you get them more time together, more, if the chemistry builds, the defense gets better, that's what you need. Those two are the key, though. They need to be on the court together more. We need to see what that really looks like consistently.
2: I think it is kind of funny because we saw so many you know pundits prior to the season say that it just couldn't work you know with, with D'Antoni's system with two uh, quote-unquote ball hogs that it, you know it just wasn't going to work and we've seen that it, it can work and that you know maybe this was the right move for for Maury and the Rockets so uh, you know I hope you're right I hope they are healthy and can compete with uh, the Warriors and the Western Conference but one of the other reasons why we wanted to have uh, you on the show this week is to discuss the Bryles family. Uh, you know it seems to be sort of an ongoing thing and this is something that we discussed a little bit on our show last week when Kendall Bryles was hired as the offensive coordinator at U of H and then uh, Art was supposed to speak at the American Football Coach Association uh, on Tuesday um, but ultimately was told that he was not going to speak. Uh, Ginny let's start with U of H hiring Kendall Bryles and also uh, Randy Clement at offensive line. I've got to say I was stunned by this because of you know Dr. Couture everything she stands for at the university. I mean how did U of H make this decision? And did she have any say in this?
3: I mean, she had to have some say in it. That's her job. I don't, I don't know her well. She hasn't spoken on the topic. I hope that she will. Um, and, and I do want to say this before I say anything else. I have a lot of respect for major Applewhite. I appreciate what he's trying to do with his program. I appreciate the fact that Kendall Bryles is without a doubt a good offensive minded coach. He is. and And there's, there's no doubt in that all of that being said i do think this this hire was a mistake and i i just think that with everything that's documented about Kendall briles to me that's enough it's enough to say this is a risk i'm not willing to take i don't want somebody like this to be here and around my players and around my recruiting um, I'm not saying that people don't change. I'm not saying that people don't deserve second chances. I just, I'm in the mindset that a second chance doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put someone um, in a leadership role among young men. I think there's a lot of ways to give someone a second chance. And, and to me, that's not the one that, that he should be given. Um, you know, I, I hope the best for this. Like, obviously, here's the thing, everyone who gets, so irritated with everything I write and say, I obviously would like all of those men that were involved in this scandal at Baylor to be different and to have changed and to have learned from their mistakes because I don't want a repeat. That's the last thing I'd like to see. That's why I I write about this. That's why I do the research and the interviews and sit with victims, I do those things because we don't want this to keep happening. It's terrible to hear what's happening to young women and that things are being swept under the rug. And it's not just that Baylor, that's just the one we know so much about right now, right? So obviously, I hope everything is different. I hope everyone has changed. But what kills me is that not one of these coaches, from Art Bryles down to the lowest assistant on the staff, not one of them has ever come out and said, man, what happened there was really messed up. We're really sorry we didn't know what was going on under our watch. And here's what we've learned. Here's how I'm going to be better moving forward. They don't even acknowledge the problem. So to me, I, I just, I can't fathom any program wanting to get behind anyone and hire someone who's yet to acknowledge the fact that there was a massive problem, that they were a part of whether they knew exactly what was going on, knew just a little bit or what, you, had, you have to learn something from that and you, you have to move forward in a positive way and if all you're doing is saying that nothing bad ever happened or you knew nothing or your hands are clean, you're not acknowledging the bigger issue which is that dozens of women were sexually assaulted by football players, and the football staff did help cover that up. And we know that to be fact.
2: Yeah, I think that it, it, it's really disappointing to me to see, you know, I, I, like like you, I kind of believe that, that people should get second chances, but I think in, in, in some of the places that they're getting second chances is a little bit ridiculous. You know, like, uh, you know, the arguably the best Group of Five program, you know, at U of H, getting a second chance there. That, to me, is a little bit of a... a, a I don't know. Concern, and then also we see Kaz Kazadi, the former strength coach at Baylor, getting hired by SMU. I mean, it's it seems that uh, you know the only person that hasn't gotten a second chance is Art Briles, and again, he was supposed to speak at the AFCA conference uh, this this past week, uh, but was shut down. And there are and there rumors, you know, going around that Baylor. Uh, in the administration at the university were sort of the ones putting pressure on the AFCA. Of course, the AFCA denied that. Uh, That could have been an opportunity for, you know, Bryles to maybe uh, show remorse. Why wasn't he allowed to speak at that conference?
3: Well, first of all, if he was going to show remorse, it wasn't going to be publicly because that was a big part of it was that he wouldn't do anything um, with people in the room. So, I mean, so that's a problem, like only coaches couldn't be shared. So to me, you're still not publicly acknowledging anything. The thing about art is we've actually, like, he's the only one we've actually seen text messages from, seen emails from, well him, Ian McCaw, who has a job at Liberty. It's a whole other big problem and issue. And then one other assistant athletic director who hasn't turned up anywhere else, we actually have seen the documented proof that they knew what was going on, but they're the only names that have been released so far. I think more will be, personally. So with that being said, I would have never even asked him to speak, period, just knowing the fact that, like, he has been, like, we have seen his name attached to text messages and emails showing that he knew about sexual assault happening on his team, among other things. Like, to me, if I'm the AFCA at that point, that's not who I go to at all. If you want to talk to somebody or you want to have someone speak um, who's been through something, you find someone who's been through something, then has admitted doing wrong, then has come out on the other side and done something positive. You don't have someone come in who can you know, maybe speak to what not to do in any way because he still has never admitted that anything has gone on. In fact, all he's done is made himself the victim. Right. So until Art Bryles ever acknowledges any of this, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't give him any platform of leadership anywhere.
2: No, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I could tell you as a Baylor alum, I mean, it, it's still. It still sucks, you know, hearing that this went on on my campus. I feel bad for, you know, the victims and everyone who was impacted. And, uh, you know, it's just not the same anymore. I mean, you still sort of have this like cloud hanging over the university. I mean, even at games this year, it was like that. So uh, very unfortunate situation. And I hope that people actually can learn from this. I mean, we're starting to see it with, you know, uh, nationwide with the, with the me too movement, at least, you know, people are starting to speak out and that's something that needs to be done, um, in our society, I think. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, with these bad situations, something good can come out of it. That's the only thing that we can, we can hope for. Well,
3: yeah. And I, I, wish more people would think like you, I think that there's this divide. Like I, I went to the university of Oklahoma and it's very easy for me to say like, I really like OU football. However, I think they completely mishandled the Joe Mixon situation. Mm -hmm. I've been very vocal about that. I don't want that happening among my team. I want people to be held accountable. You're doing the same thing. You're, you know, you're a Baylor supporter, a Baylor fan. You can still say, I don't like what happened on my team. I hope we get it right. And I think that fans get so die hard and so wrapped up that they're not allowed to make that separation. And, you are allowed to make that separation. You are allowed as an alumnus, especially someone who gave your money to the school and you're out representing your school, you can demand that they do a better job. And and I'm very happy to say that I know a ton of Baylor uh, alums who do that. And I have a lot of respect for them. I have a lot of respect for coach Matt Rule, who's there now and what he's trying to do. And I wish them the best. I want to see Baylor become the example of how you turn things around. And I think I think it absolutely can be.
2: And speaking of Matt Roll, I mean, he brought in Rachel Barbara, who has you know, been a, you know, a strong advocate for the players that are currently on campus. I mean, what can you tell me from you know, just your time, I don't know, researching, talking with people around the program now, how the culture has sort of shifted?
3: Oh, it's shifted a lot because there's transparency now. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I, As someone who spent a lot of time on that campus, researching and, and um, obviously kind of investigating this, I understand that I wasn't always everyone's favorite person to see. Um, the difference now when I walk in, I feel very comfortable asking any question and knowing that I'm going to get an answer because I know people want to be held accountable. I know they want to show the progress that they're making. And I know that they They want things to turn around in a very positive way, and it's great to see. It's great to see. Transparency goes a long way. People just want to know the truth. And once you get the truth out there, people are a lot more willing to forgive and move forward. And I think that's what held Baylor up for such a long time was that the truth was not coming out.
2: That's great news to hear that, you know, that the university is being more transparent. And I just hope that trend continues not only at Baylor, but uh, throughout the U.S. So, you know, nothing bad happens so that it truly is a sport and, you know, not all of these off the field issues, because I feel like we have enough of those off the field issues with our current administration right now in the United States. So uh, let's keep sports as sort of that, that refuge, uh, you know, that, that, that good place where people can turn to. But uh, Jenny, one last thing that I want to talk about is uh, over the weekend in the Chronicle, you had a profile talking about, you know, uh, the bowl bonuses that were given out to uh, head football coaches, coaching staffs. Uh, You had Alabama coaches, I believe getting $1.2 million in bonuses. The UCF staff, Got national championship bonuses. But at the end of the day, none of it goes to the players. And we spoke with Chris Yandel about this a few weeks ago on the podcast, and he was very adamant that there needs to be some sort of pay to play uh, system where athletes can get some sort of compensation. Uh, Can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit more about that article and profile this weekend?
3: Yeah. So I actually called some former players from the Houston area that played in college, a couple of them played in the NFL as well. Um, and just ask them from their perspective of you know, being on campus and being players what they thought of the issue. And, of course, it's always good to talk to those guys since they lived it. And one of the things I find the most interesting is I don't hear anyone clamoring that they should be making, like, NFL money or anything like that. They just, they just want to be compensated for their, their time, essentially, and their work. Because if you think about it, these guys are basically, the time they put in, if you average it out for an entire year, it's basically 40 hours a week toward football, you know, about 60 hours during the season and then more like, you know, 20 to 30 during the off season. They can't go out and get jobs. Like they can't do what other students are doing and make money in any way. I think about even myself, I made money working for the student newspaper. Like I was getting a paycheck for that. You know, So why aren't they allowed to make any money? Um, To me, it's just kind of crazy. And then when someone finds a way to do so, like that UCF kicker last year who had the YouTube channel, they make him choose. Well, he found another way to make money um, so that the NCAA doesn't have to pay him anything, and then he's penalized for it and has to make a decision. And one of the players I was talking to, he played for Oregon. His name is Braylon Addison. Great high school player at Hightower, um, and just an exceptional young man. Quite frankly, I could talk to him all day about an array of topics. But he, you know, he brought up like you see the commercials that that show these athletes—they're you know running the football—and then it will show them in like a science lab, and it will say most of them will go pro in something else. Well, if that's the case, <laughs> you know why? Like, like the UCF student is is the perfect example. If he's going to go pro and you know making videos or doing some kind of communications why are you taking that away from him now um you know who does it really hurt so i think that there's to me there's just got to be a way if you're not you know if you're playing football full time you can't go to the mall and get a job um but the university can make money off of people buying your likeness and yes like a jersey doesn't say somebody's name on it. it doesn't say tim tebow on the jersey but a whole bunch of florida fans went and bought that jersey right. right and he doesn't make a penny for it so i don't think anyone is is saying you need to pay me millions of dollars but i think it's fair to to say like here's here's this extra money for what you for essentially having a job at the university. Other students who, who work at the university, if you work in the library, if you work at the student newspaper, if you work in the student health center, you're getting a paycheck. So why aren't, why aren't athletes? And to me, I think that's something that we, we really need to do a better job of and look at. I 100,000% I see the value in education and in earning that scholarship and being given that chance. But it's, I don't like the term free education. Those guys are working for their scholarship.
2: Absolutely. Um, they're
3: working harder than a lot of students are. So it's not like the school's like, here's your free education. They earned it, the you know, and it might be a different way than a, a kid with academic scholarships earned it, but they're earning it. They're out there doing the work to make that happen, and they're putting their bodies on the line, and they're bringing in millions of dollars. So to me, I, again, I, I understand that we're not going to pay them tons and tons of money, and I think that's fair. But I think that you either need to provide opportunity for them to be able to make money, or you you need to you know up their compensation. They do get a little bit um, for. I think you get around like five thousand a year or so. But we we've all paid rent. I mean, these guys have apartments that they pay for. They like that's not the school doing that. That comes from their scholarship money. Um, so we've all been there. We've all had to buy our own groceries and pay the electric bill and do all of those things. That's not a ton of money. That's why a lot of college kids also work.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And especially, you know, those those kids on full scholarships, you know, they're allowed to go out and get jobs. Why can't student athletes do that? So I totally agree with you on that uh and again if you haven't seen that story just pick up uh, a copy of the sunday paper the chronicle also you could check it out on Houstonchronicle.com just go ahead and get a subscription it's like i don't know 20 cents a day maybe maybe 10 cents a day it's cheap but you should definitely do that but again we've got jenny dow creek sports columnist for the chronicle on the show and, and jenny uh you're pretty active on social media and you've also uh made several tv appearances on uh sunday nights uh where can our listeners find you
3: You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Dial Creech. It's probably probably the best place to start, Um, and then certainly in the paper. And we have the uh, uh, Texas Sports Nation TV show every Sunday night at 11 o'clock on KPRC. Um, I'm not always on there, but it's always pretty interesting. Someone's on there saying something interesting every week.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You should definitely check that out. But, uh, Jenny, it's always great to have you on the show. We appreciate it.
3: Yeah, of course. Thanks so much.
2: You're listening to The Weekly Brew.
1: From Mill Media Group, this is Yay Go Sports, a sports show for people who think a dog pile is just something you step over. I'm your host, Luke Brauner and this is Episode 12, The Greatest Running Back Ever, with my friend, Nathan Sharks. Hello, friends. Welcome again to Yego Sports. I'm here with my favorite co host and yours, Nathan Shartz. Nathan,
0: welcome back. Luke, thank you. So, welcome to our home. You're, we're recording this in my home. Yes. And I yeah. am so,
1: honestly, so happy for you to be here. Oh, man, it's a joy. So, off the air, after the last episode we did, you and your wife had a conversation that I thought was interesting in which you asked her who the greatest running back of all time was. And she replied, Barry Sanders, in your opinion. <laughs> I want to provide for you an opportunity to defend that.
0: Barry Sanders, Luke, in my opinion, is the greatest running back of all time. There's probably some nostalgia sprinkled over that opinion. I don't care. He his highlights on YouTube, and you can probably maybe post a link to it, maybe sure, a few. Yeah. His, he was ridiculous. The guy was a pinball. He always played on these crappy teams. The Detroit Lions just never fielded a really good team. They never had a quarterback, never really had a defense. But Barry Sanders was the most electric running back, in my opinion, of all time. He wasn't real powerful. He wasn't super strong. I mean, he, he was built like a brick, you know, S house. <laughs> But he was fast. He wasn't the most powerful guy. Brick S-house. Okay. <laughs> Self-editing. Yes. The guy was incredible. You have to see it to believe it. And one of the greater things about him is you see a lot of players that score touchdowns nowadays. They go into a ballet routine where they get a conga line going. <laughs> Barry Sanders, it was the biggest fu to the other team. He would simply go hand the ball to the referee and walk back to the bench and sit down. That was face. That was face. And I just, I love the fact that he didn't over-celebrate. It was his routine. This is what I get paid to do. I'm going to go sit down now, call me when you need me. Okay, so tell me about Barry Sanders. When did he play? He played from about 1988 till 1999. He played about 10 or 11 years. He had more football in him. He just retired because he was tired of losing, and you can't blame him. Yeah. But he was of the era when the Dallas Cowboys were really good. And being from Dallas, you get a lot of arguments. Hey, Emmitt Smith, he's got the most rushing. Emmitt Smith was fantastic. He wasn't Barry Sanders. Emmitt Smith ran behind the greatest offensive line maybe ever assembled. It was a fantastic team. Emmitt was great. You put Barry Sanders behind that line, he would have shattered every NFL record, kind of like Emmitt did. He would have shattered every record known to man. The dude was impossible. Went to Oklahoma State, came out, won the Heisman, He was just electric, you know. You couldn't keep your eyes off it. Every Thanksgiving, we would watch the Lions play. They always were kind of the JV team. (laughs) Then the Cowboys would play. Mm -hmm. But the Lions were so much fun to watch on Thanksgiving because you got to see Barry Sanders. And they would end up losing, but it didn't matter because Sanders would always rip off a 65-yard run or do something silly, and he would just dance in the backfield while people were trying to tackle him. You couldn't get your, your hands on him. Yeah. He was just so fast.
1: So who would be the other candidates in that conversation, do you think? So Barry Sanders, you've said Emmitt Smith. Are there any other guys that you're like, well, I could see an argument
0: for? Absolutely. Cold-blooded killer, OJ Simpson's probably in there. OJ's in there. Earl Campbell would be – he's on my list just because I like him. He was a Houston Oiler. He's probably big with your Houston people. He was awesome. Walter Payton, pretty much considered kind of the one of the greater running backs. And then new age guys, LaDainian Tomlinson. LaDanian Tomlinson was a great. <laughs> he went to TCU.
1: <laughs> like I should say just then. But.
0: <laughs> he went to TCU. He's okay. a local guy. And he went on to have a great career with the San Diego Chargers, caught a lot of passes. He was kind of your more modern style running back. Running backs now, Luke, since you care to know, when you, <laughs> when you break them down, they're a dime a dozen now. There's not as much emphasis on the running game in football like there was. Okay. You used to have a premier back, Emmitt Barry, Walter Payton. You don't have that anymore. It's now it's a passing league. Running backs are a little more of an afterthought. You know why is
1: that? You think why did that change?
0: I think that you can you're just more efficient. You know it's not as big. The league is not as big on grind and and just you know. So Smash passing mouth. and like
1: crazy catches are just sexier than
0: they just are than guys pounding through a line. It sells more Gatorade. Okay. It's just a better product. It's better to watch. That's why college football is generally viewed as a better product than the NFL cuz it's just fun. It's fun to watch these guys, these you don't know where this 18-year-old's head is. You know, he could have been up all night you have no idea what's showing up on Saturday in college football. Yeah. It's, so that's it's just a better product. But I'm getting off topic. Running backs nowadays are just not as important as they were. And the most important one, in my opinion, ever was Barry Sanders. So you generally, on the show, are my most
1: controversial coach. <laughs> you generally rile people up the most, sure. which I think is fun. But they get riled up on Facebook, and you're not there to defend yourself. So I want to yep. invite you, one – well, I'm on MySpace. To come back to Facebook and defend your arguments and let I need people to, attack you instead of me. I also want to, <laughs> if, if there's a place that I can forward
0: people, like your email
1: address, I would love to do that so that y'all can just hash it all out.
0: Absolutely. This email address was created when I was about 12. It's nate.quick. That's N-A-T-E-D-A-Q-U-I-C-K at gmail.com.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: That's what that's I'm doc, probably not actually going to. With a DA. <laughs> <laughs> or they can find me at MySpace backslash <laughs> pimp shit 420. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nate,
1: thank you for your defense of Barry Sanders. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
2: Closing time. What an episode of the Weekly Root Podcast. And again, this has been episode 121. And special thanks to Jenny Dialcreech for joining us, uh, breaking things down with the Houston Rockets. Of course, they've got a few big games coming up this weekend. The one that I have uh, you know, circled in my calendar is the Saturday night game against... Golden State. I mean, this could be a game in which James Harden is back, which Kevin Durant is healthy. So we could potentially be seeing a preview of what many think is the Western Conference Finals, the two elite teams in the Western Conference. So I think that will be an exciting game. Uh, it was interesting getting some of her insight into the organization this year and how they've been off to such a hot start. Also, uh, her comments on our Briles, Kendall Bryles, spot on. Uh, one thing that I do want to take note of, she mentioned the current Baylor uh, athletic department organization and, and head coach Matt Rule. She said that they're being transparent now. And that that's a good thing. I think that's remarkable to hear from somebody like Jenny who has covered this story so well in the past two years. And, and she's been critical of Baylor. Rightly so. Baylor deserves to be criticized for the way that they handled, uh, you know, the scandals uh, since 2015, August 2015, when when news of this started to break. It was refreshing to hear that the tone at the university has changed. I think Matt Rule is the right guy for the job. I think that he is doing a good job turning the perception of the university around it was, it was nice to hear Jenny's comments uh, specifically on that. So we, we definitely appreciate Jenny joining the podcast. Also her, her story this past week, which we'll link onto our website, on amateurism in college athletics and, uh, you know, whether these student athletes should be paid. Uh, if you want more in depth on that, then I recommend that you go back. I think it was like two or three episodes ago. We had Chris Yandel on the podcast, spoke with him for about 40 minutes on amateurism and college athletics. Highly recommend that you listen to that as well. Uh, but also... Special shout-out to Luke Bronner, Yego Sports. Again, you can follow Yego Sports on social media. Uh, just search Yego Sports. Also, you can follow Luke, his personal uh, handle. Just search Luke Bronner. Uh Really interesting conversation with uh, Nathan Schwartz on the greatest running back uh, in NFL history. And I've got to agree. I think Barry Sanders is that guy. He retired young. He had a lot of uh, energy left in those legs, and he, he was you know, hindered by playing in uh, Detroit. I mean, honestly, Detroit is not a good franchise. They are, uh, you know, one of the laughingstocks of the NFL. Uh, they haven't been able to get it done in, you know, the past two, three decades. And, and Barry Sanders, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done on an organization that was more stable, that had a franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, what if he had played with Matt Stafford? You know, I know I know it's different generations, but that's the thing with certain NFL players is... is you see certain players get drafted into certain organizations where they can develop players better than others, right? Uh, you see Tom Brady get drafted, sixth round pick, get drafted by New England. If he'd been drafted by the Cleveland Browns, uh, Tom Brady wouldn't be one of the you know greatest of all time. It, it, it's just a fact. He wouldn't be. He might have been a marginal player or, you know, might have had a few good years, but it's all about the organization that you get drafted in. Of course, Barry Sanders, a Hall of Famer, got drafted into an organization after a Heisman career at Oklahoma State. You know, that wasn't that great. If, if he would have been, you know, a, a cowboy, as Nathan said, things could have been a lot different. Uh, but, you know, it, it was interesting to hear them talk about some of the, uh, the modern names. And, of course, LaDainian Tomlinson was brought up. Uh, there is one name that I would say is the last great... Running back from that era who is still sort of like a modern running back. Because, uh, you know, as Nathan correctly pointed out, running backs now are a dime a dozen. You know, they, they have to catch out of the backfield. Uh, it's a lot of platoon uh, running back committees that you see now. Uh, the last great running back, I think, of our generation is probably Adrian Peterson. I mean, I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a guy that nine months after tearing his ACL came back, uh, you know, had an MVP caliber season. Uh, he is a guy that has been durable for more than a decade. Uh, you know he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he was that last bruising back who could you know be an uh, you know an all three down type guy. Uh, I would I would definitely put him up in that category as one of the greatest running backs that I've personally uh, seen. I've actually uh, been able to watch him play also when he was at Oklahoma his freshman year. It was just remarkable to see uh, the talent that he had. Uh, you know his size, his durability, his speed, uh, his vision, and you you. you know, uh, that's a guy who uh, was put on a decent franchise, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, they had some good runs, Uh, you know, they they couldn't get the job done in the postseason, you know, now maybe there's a chance for the Vikings to, you know, kind of um, erase that pass and get to the Super Bowl. But we'll see with, uh, you know, two big games coming up in the NFL this Sunday. But Overall, I hope that you enjoyed uh, today's episode. It was episode 121 of the podcast. And uh, let us know if you like it. Go ahead and uh, shoot us an email. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the, uh, the podcast this week. Uh, and again, thanks to uh, Jenny for joining us. Thanks to Luke for giving us a segment for this week's show. And uh, make sure to go over to uh, Diego Sports, subscribe, and uh, follow his work. He puts out great content, whether it's Diego Sports, whether it's the H, whether it's the Ish. Uh, you know, whether it's Brian Hamilton's podcast, it's it's all great content. We definitely recommend that you check that out. But if you want to follow our work, you can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But on behalf of my co-hosts this week, uh, Jeremy Paxson and Hunter Atkins, who are not with us, my name is Austin Stadden, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.